0: You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, I think it's safe to say that missions isn't exactly everybody's favorite topic. I say that because how we feel about the subject of missions is how you might describe me on a dance floor. Awkward and confused. Missions, talking about missions can be awkward because as far as our culture is concerned, few things are more distasteful than going to someone of another religion or of another worldview and telling them that you have the truth. And telling people that they need Jesus. I mean, telling them that they need Jesus, that they must repent and believe on him, is seen as arrogant, if not unethical. Really, the question that needs to be answered is, what gives us the right to go and to call people to turn away from whatever path they are on to follow Jesus? It's a subject that can feel awkward. It's also a subject that can be a bit confusing, Because there is a lot of confusion in the church, broadly speaking, about what missions even is. Like, what are we talking about? Some would describe missions as really any kind of good the church does outside of its walls. While others would would point to works of evangelism and works of compassion together with evangelism. And and even that raises an interesting debate. Many differ on how much we should be meeting physical needs versus spiritual needs, and how how much weight do we put in each category? There, there's lots of confusion about what exactly is the task of missions. So, what is the task of missions? That's an important question. It's a subject that can feel awkward. And feel confusing. It seems to me that we've got to address this awkwardness and confusion. Because if we're at all in doubt about the rightness of doing missions, or if we're unclear about what it even means, if there's a fuzziness among us, then we're not likely to do it. And what's more, life is too short and eternity is too long for us to be unclear about what Christ calls us to do personally and as a local church. We've got to be really clear about our calling. So, that's what I want to address today on this Missions Sunday is I want to share with you preach a sermon that I've entitled The What and why of missions. And who better to listen to for answers to these questions than Jesus himself, in a passage in which I believe he very clearly and powerfully gives us an answer to those questions. The text is the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I preached from this text about a year ago in a different context with a different emphasis. Uh, Today, we're back to it. because it's a very important passage. It's one that we, we rightly refer to as the Great Commission. And it's one in which Jesus, I believe, again, helps us to understand what missions is all about and why we are to do it. Now, as you arrive at Matthew 28 and verse 16, it's the, the context is breathtaking. It's really something what's happened. Jesus has died on the cross for sin, it's astonishing. The, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, as he's called in Scripture, took upon himself the sin of the world, your sin and mine included. And there he suffered and died in our place, providing the one and only way for sinful people like you and me to be forgiven. He took upon himself the penalty for our sin. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And then, just as he promised on the third day, he arose from the dead. Astonishing, breathtaking. And here we find him at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, raised up from the grave, and he has a word of commission for his disciples. I think whatever he's going to say here in this context is going to be really significant, really, really important. Let's look and see what happened and what he said. Verse 16 of Matthew 28. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Why 11 and not 12? Why 11 not 12? There was 12, but Judas betrayed him, and he's out of the picture. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's not hard for us to imagine, is it? You see the risen Jesus. Filled with worship and delight. Imagine the sounds of... I mean, Jesus appeared to his disciples on many occasions over a 40-day period. And here he is again. For in Matthew's gospel, at the last face-to-face meeting that he would have with them. And... Here he is, the risen Savior. You can imagine the joy and the tears and the, the shouts and the, the exclamations one to another. I mean, imagine if Jesus himself physically came here and appeared before us today, the, the sounds that we would make, the, the wonder, the awe. But it's also not hard to imagine the doubting, too, is it? You, you can imagine. Put yourselves in the shoes of these disciples. Here he is. Did he, is he really risen? Is this happening? Am I dreaming? You could see them pinching themselves and shaking their head and and just wonder at the risen Savior, Jesus. There he is, risen from the dead. We would feel no different, right? I mean, generally speaking, people don't rise from the dead, do they? It's not not very common, very unusual, but it happened. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Note that word, authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, I would say that phrase there, make disciples, that is our mission. And then to all nations, that is missions. You hear? So we've got... That sounds like the Beverly Hillbillies. You hear? We've got our mission to make disciples here and wherever we go. To all the nations, that's missions. That's the, the global emphasis, the global perspective, especially that we have in view today. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is the best part. This is my favorite part anyway. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that good news? And don't you want to be wherever he is? <laughs> the great thing is when you're in him, he's where you are. It's amazing. The what and the why of missions. We're going to start with the Why? The why of missions. Why do we do missions? Well, missions is all about being disciples of Christ. It's all about being disciples of Christ. We are on mission and we do missions because we're followers of Jesus. And we see here in this text that we do mission here because Christ has commanded it. It's Christ's command. You notice that phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? That's a lot of authority. It's unmatched authority. His lordship is a real deal. And when we love him, when we know him, we submit to his lordship. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, we do missions because it's, it's Christ's command. If we're to be faithful to Christ, then we're to be about his work, being on mission and serious about missions, doing it, praying about it, giving toward it, going. It's part of our discipleship. Really this, this call, this commission is integral, is essential to being followers of Jesus. If we're not on mission and if we're not engaged in missions, then we're not really being faithful to our discipleship, our call to follow Jesus. And here we see the authority of Jesus in particular is the impetus to be engaged in missions. The authority of Christ. The, it's what gives us It's what gives us the right to call people to turn from their religion or their worldview or their worldly pursuits or all three together and turn to Jesus. What gives us the right is is Jesus and it's his authority because he's the king of the universe and he commands it. That's why. This is is why we send missionaries into countries where missions are forbidden because the authority of Christ supersedes all other authorities. This is why we go where conversion is illegal, where conversion to Christ is illegal, because Jesus commands us to go without qualification. This is why we said missionaries, in spite of the disdain of an intolerant culture in which we live, that accuses us of arrogance and chides us for being politically incorrect, we do it because Christ the King commands us to go and this is why we as Christians of all different backgrounds and abilities and ages are prepared to give up comforts and to endure separation from friends and from family and venture into countries not our own and the cultures different from our own even where it's risky it's why we do this is because the authority of Jesus who commissions us and we're submitted to his authority he's called us to it and so we are compelled and we go now you say, you know, isn't you talk about his authority, and you can see the authority here in this in this text. But you think, well, doesn't doesn't love have anything to do with it? Absolutely, love is a huge factor. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians five fourteen, he says, "The love of Christ." Compels us, so we we are loved by God, and He fills us by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit pours out God's love into our hearts. Romans five says that, and so we are loved by God. We we have that sense that we are loved by God, and because He loves us, we also love others. We love one another, and we've got His love for the lost nations. Absolutely, love is a huge factor in it. We we're compelled to go willingly, gladly. We we delight to focus on missions. We delight to send missionaries. We delight to have a global coordinator. We delight to have days like this where we're thinking about God's plans and God's heart for the nations because there is a love in our hearts and God is at work increasing our love and concern for the lost and those who don't know Jesus. So it's not a chore. It's not something we begrudge, but it is something we also recognize that we're commanded to do. We acknowledge that we are under authority, so in the days that we don't feel like it, in a weekend where you come in and you feel your honest reaction is like, missions. Yeah, it is missions, because we're under the authority of Jesus. It's not just because we choose to, it's because we're told to. The great missionary Hudson Taylor, missionary to China in the 19th century, said this, he said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but it's a command to be obeyed. And we feel that way. We feel that way. We do missions because it's Christ's command. And we do missions because it's our commitment. It's part of our commitment to him. It's all about being disciples of Jesus. And as we're committed to him, we're committed to answering his call. We love him. We live for him. We long for him to be known, to be believed on, to be worshipped. We do it. We do missions because it's our commitment to him. But here's the thing. Sometimes we waver in our commitment, don't we? Sometimes we feel that. Maybe you don't feel that today. You came in here gung-ho, fired up. You're like, I'm not wavering. Well, the rest of us sometimes do. We waver in our commitment. And just for fun, just to help you feel better about being you, I wrote down five ways that we waver, all right? Five ways that we waver. Uh, Not to discourage you, I'm just calling out some things that are real, all right? And uh, this is a real, I don't have to think too hard about this, I just look at myself and write some things down. And one reason we waver from our commitment is we often, sometimes, occasionally, ignore his instruction, like, we don't, we don't listen, we don't respond. We hear a sermon, we hear messages about missions, and maybe even in the moment we feel stirred, but we, we, don't, we don't respond. Second thing I wrote down is sometimes we assume without action. We forget that knowing this text is not equal to doing this text. Knowing it's really important. But Saul also was doing. right. Jesus said, "Right, it's, it's good for you to know, but blessed are you if you do. We assume without action. It's not enough just that I know these things or even just that I agree with these things, but that I'm living for these things. Third, I wrote down, we, we, we impose our own conditions. You might feel, even today, maybe even something you've never felt before, a stirring, a nudging, where the Lord might be saying to you, I'm talking to you, and you might have that sense that maybe you desperately don't want to have, that maybe God's calling me to mission. And sometimes we can say, yes, I'll go, but I got conditions. We impose our own conditions. I'll go as long as it's safe. We don't say that out loud. It doesn't sound very courageous or cool, but that's often what we feel. One mission, one pastor missionary said this, that he said that when we answer that call to missions, we realize in, with the Lord we are enlisting as soldiers, not civilians. As soldiers. So, you know, a soldier doesn't join the army and say, I'm in as long as nobody ever shoots at me. Fourth thing I wrote down, we excuse ourselves from service. And maybe you've been there. I know what this sounds like when I hear myself get thinking. It's the yes but thing that we have. Yes but. You know yes but. right? It sounds like a, like a great baby name. Yes but. No, a terrible baby name. It's we hear that call and and we feel compelled and we agree and we say amen. But when it comes to ourselves and our own personal response, we say, yes, but I got my career. You don't understand, Lord, my career is just, just right in the sweet spot right now. And if I... If I was to make a change, like that would just throw that right out of whack. Or my family situation right now, and, and these things are not small things. I'm not minimizing these things. Your, your family, your family situation is a serious consideration, but sometimes it's just, a for us in our own minds, it's a showstopper. It's a deal breaker, and, and we're not even going to go there. We're not going to consider it. Or, or you say, maybe I, I don't do well in different climates or something like that, right? There's some, there's some insects in here today. I don't know, it's something to do with the, the weather or something like that. I'm like, maybe Lord, you're preparing us for missions by a, a place where we encounter more insects, I don't know. But we have these conditions sometimes and we, we excuse ourselves from service because, we, right right off the top. My concern is not that you have concerns, but it's this, is that... You might excuse yourself from something that God is calling you to, maybe even a great opportunity where, where, that God is calling you to, right off the hop because you've got immediate objections. We excuse ourselves without really, really leaning in and listening to what the Lord is saying. Fifth thing I wrote down about this, you're feeling encouraged, feeling blessed, it's just being real, this is just real, this is what happens. Your sermons on missions and these are the things we throw up, the throw up figuratively and really. Fifth, we have divided hearts. And I actually think that's probably the biggest one. If I'm honest with me, and if you're honest with you, sometimes the biggest barrier we find is our need to reprioritize our priorities and to realign our hearts with God's heart. Think of it this way. When, um, before Leanne and I were married, when we were first falling in love and that whole romantic thing was, was just becoming a reality, I would do ridiculous things for her. Uh, in fact, I used to get ridiculed and mocked by my friends because we lived, we were one of those their long distance relationships. We lived two hours apart. I lived in Peterborough, great city of Peterborough. She lived in Barrie, which is cursed with terrible weather in the wintertime. And uh, I remember I would, I would go from Peterborough to Barrie to have lunch with her. And my friends, they used to mock me and ridicule me. Of course, in those days gas was like sixty-three cents a liter or something like that, so it was, it was different. But even if it was two dollars a liter, I'm telling you right now, I was going. I go have, I drive anywhere to go in and be with. I didn't care the cost of the time or whatever, or or if it's spending my meager little bit of money because you know what, I loved her. I wanted to be around her, and she just she had all my thoughts. She had my heart. She got all of me. And by the way, babe, you still do. You still do. Yes. But here's the thing. It's like that's actually the kind of what our heart and attitude and mindset ought to be about the Lord. Like, Lord, I'll, I'll do anything for you. I, you. You want me to relocate? You know, we, we, we start bringing out the excuses and explanations. Do we envision God saying, oh, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about your career. Uh, okay, never mind. I'll speak to the person behind you. Yes. Is that No, God, God's not like he know he knows what you got going on. I wonder. I wonder are our hearts divided? He made me, he loved me, he saves me, he holds me, he's got promises for me. What do I got to lose when I love him and I got him? We do missions because it's our commitment. My call this morning for us, not even just personally, but collectively as a church, as loved ones, let's not waver in our commitment. It doesn't mean we're all going to go. Most of us are not. But I long for some who would hear and seek the Lord and consider, maybe, Lord, you would send me somewhere different than where I am. Missions is about being disciples of Jesus. Whether we're praying or giving or sending or going, it's our call as a local church to be on mission and to be engaged in missions to the ends of the earth. We're called to that because it's part of our discipleship. But we're still going to answer the other question. What is it exactly that we're talking about? we get the why of missions, thinking about the command of Christ and our commitment to him. But what is it that we're commanded to do? Well, the what of missions, I would summarize broadly as this, and I'll get a little more specific. The what of missions is this. Missions is about making disciples. That's what it is. It's about making disciples. Whether we're on mission here where we are or engaged in missions globally to the nations, to the ends of the earth, at the end of the day... The objective, the purpose, the point, the work is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to make more disciples, to make stronger disciples of Jesus Christ. Making disciples is the imperative in this text. Verse 19, go therefore, it sounds imperative, but in the original it's not, it doesn't have the imperative force on the going, although there is a going involved if we're going to the end of the, na- end of the world, to the ends of the earth. But the, the imperative in this text is that phrase, make disciples. So that's, that's like at the, at the heart of it. Like if we, if we peel back the Lord's command here, and what is it he's he saying? We're getting right down to the nub of it, and it's this. It's to make disciples, to, uh, to, make, to invite people, to call on people, to be at work gathering for Jesus, those who love and follow him. What does this involve? It involves a few things that Jesus identifies. Firstly, it involves baptism. He says here, Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, notice, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now as I understand it here in this text, as Jesus speaks about baptizing, surely he does have in view physical uh, water baptism. But also I believe that more broadly here it is a, a shorthand for conversion and salvation. It's that what happens in the hearts of people in response to hearing the gospel when the Spirit of God is at work. It happens through evangelism. When a person is baptized, they identify themselves with the Father, Son, and Spirit. They publicly declare their allegiance and submission to Christ and show symbolically what God has done—that happens. That conversion, that salvation, happens through sharing the gospel and that response of repentance and faith. We are called to call people to believe on Jesus, and this is essential to missions. When you think about the what of missions, and you see that we're baptizing, that's a reminder that if 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 what we are, if we're going to really truly minister to the unsaved, to the unsaved then we must proclaim Christ we must proclaim him if what we are doing with the unsaved in relation to the unsaved locally or globally if what we're doing does not involve gospel proclamation then it's not biblical missions i'll say that again if what we're doing in relation to the unsaved is not does not involve mainly at the forefront gospel proclamation then we're not doing biblical missions Yes, we're to feed people. Yes, we're to clothe people. Yes, we're to educate people. Because love is not indifferent to suffering. There's a dissonance there. If I just preach Jesus, but don't care that you're that you're dying of thirst or you have no means of being able to read or get an education. Of course, of course, we care about these things. I have a missionary friend of mine that he he said more than once. He says they got to be alive to hear about Jesus. So we get that. We're not indifferent to suffering. But if all I do, if the only thing I do is feed them and clothe them and give them an education, they could well have all of that and go to a lost eternity. And that's enormously unkind. One pastor missionary said this, apart from the word, or the gospel, apart from the word, our actions go uninterpreted. What does he mean by that? He means that you and I can be known as nice people, kind people, caring people, the neighbor who always waves, you know, the, the, the friend that comes and shovels out the end of the driveway. We could be known for these things, but if never, ever, ever, at any point, people ever hear what compels us to do these things, our actions will go uninterpreted, not understood, understood. So yes, shovel your neighbor's driveway if you're able to. Yes, take their mail in. Yes, wave to them. You'll look like a jerk if you don't wave to them. But the reality is, is at some point, as the Lord leads, and as he opens the door, and it may be through those acts of compassion that he will open the door, at some point, something's got to be said about Christ and the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, and the call to repent and believe on him at some point. That's true here where we are, and that's true to the ends of the earth. So you see that word baptizing, it's a reminder that that's what missions involves. It also involves teaching. Notice that phrase there in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Missions is about making disciples, and how we make disciples is through evangelism. Think of that word baptizing. But also teaching, instructing. You know, in antiquity, the notion of a disciple is one who is a pupil, one who is a learner. They come under the teaching or the instruction of another. And the reality is, is that as Jesus talks about being a disciple, when he talks about teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, in the context, the the apostles, those first apostles, the, those those apostles, those first disciples hear that and they recognize, yes, what Jesus has taught, we also must teach. We what Jesus has revealed about himself, we also must share and instruct others. And really for you and I, it's, as I said a few moments ago, it's part of our discipleship, but we're also making disciples. We're calling people to love and to follow Jesus, to find salvation in him and to live their lives for him. When you're a follower, it's just like follow the leader, right? Have you played follow the leader? There's somebody in front of you leading the way and they touch their head or they have their arms out to the side or they make noises. If you're doing follow the leader, you're doing the exact same thing that they are. And that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, as disciples, to be learners under him, doers of what he commands. And our call in mission and missions is to teach others to do the same also. So what do I do with a backstabbing coworker? Well, not what you feel like doing tomorrow morning, but whatever Jesus says to do. Or what do I do with, what, what, what's, you know, what do I do in my life? I need some direction. I, I, I need to know what do I do with myself. Well, what does Jesus say? What kind of a person should I marry? Well, what does the Lord say? What does he tell us in his word? How should I handle my money? See, all these things, all the factors of life come under the discipleship, the, the teachings of Jesus. And they, they are to be observed. Notice that word observe, teaching them to observe or obey. It doesn't mean observe in the, in the sense of like watching, but observe in the sense like, like if we were to observe a moment of silence, it's something you do, you participate in. That's what he's talking about here. See, what we do as as followers of Jesus, as evangelists, as missionaries, is we teach the truth of Jesus for transformation, to see lives changed. See, what we're seeing here is that missions is more than just evangelism. Missions is more than just evangelism. It also involves discipleship. And so when we think about where the Lord might lead us globally, even when we think about the ends of the earth, Church planning is so vital and so important. This is what, again, one of the reasons we love being part of the GCC because there is an emphasis on planning churches. Let me, give you a, let me illustrate for you just how important this is. When Pastor Omar was here a couple of weeks ago from Mexico City, there's just a few of us sitting around and talking together, and um, in that conversation, I asked him about the numbers of people that they're dealing with in Mexico City. And the population of Mexico City proper, like where the, the official city border is, within that area is about eight and a half million people. But then he said to me, he's like, Ross, what you really need to understand, though, is that when you, when you say Mexico City, really you're talking about more than just that border. Sort of like the Toronto, you think of the greater Toronto area, like there's, there's, there's a broader area around that kind of makes one city. He's like, really, when you're talking about Mexico City, you're talking about 20 million people. 20 million people. Now, here in Ontario, we got 15 million people in this whole province. And it's a long way from here to Kenora. But in Mexico City, you got 20 million people in one city. So I asked him, I said, Omar, how many churches, as, as you understand it, based on your knowledge and, and your perspective... To your knowledge, how many faithful, gospel-preaching, Bible-teaching churches are there in Mexico City right now, like the kind of churches that you and I would want to go to? How many churches would you say? And he thought for a moment, and he said, "Mm, about 20. Think. Think for a minute. 20 million people. Twenty faithful gospel preaching, Bible teaching churches. That's one church for every million people. Now, fast forward less than twenty four hours. I sat with a church planner. Just God orchestrated. We're just in another place, sitting in a room, and we were just chit chatting. And I share. I was still processing what Omar had told me, and I said to him, "You know, see, you're know the wildest thing I've just heard in the last twenty four hours." And I told him just what I just told you, and he looked at me and he said, "Ross, that's why church planning is so important." So, do you know how many missionaries have gone to Mexico? Do you know how much, how much evangelism has done, been done in Mexico? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But the reality is, is that planting churches is so crucial because that's how strong disciples are made. It involves teaching. And that's why we've got to be about church planting because it's in the context of a church where people are going to grow in Christ. Not only grow to maturity, but also grow to, to be people who are themselves Going and teaching others also. Missions involves baptism, involves teaching. Missions involves all nations. That jumps out at us, doesn't it? On a mission Sunday, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I told you a few weeks ago that that word nations there doesn't mean nation in terms of country, but rather the idea is of ethnic groups of people, ethno-linguistic groups of people. It's not talking about a country like Canada, but we're talking about people groups, like all the different people groups, languages, ethnicities within that country. So we're one country, but in Canada, we've got about 273 people groups in our one country. That's what Jesus is talking about, all the nations. He's talking about all the peoples. And that's why we got to have things like Mission Sundays, and we have a global coordinator, because what we've got here is a call to go to the peoples of the earth. Let me just show you this from a couple of scripture texts here. I'm gonna use my favorite toy here. I love this TV. Revelation five nine. I showed you this verse a few weeks ago, remember? Looking, looking into heaven, looking ahead to the future. Worthy are you, this worship, this song of worship, just wonderful. Worthy are you, for you were slain. So the worship is going to Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed, you've rescued, you've ransomed people for God from notice from every. Tribe and language and people and nation. That's what Jesus talks about when he, says, when he says to make disciples of all nations. He's talking about every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Let's go ahead to Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. Again, looking forward in the future, this is wonderful. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He's talking about every people group to the ends of the earth. So let, let me just break this down into real numbers. There are right now in the world approximately 200 countries. There's actually a little debate about how many countries there actually are. The, the range is between 195 and 206. I won't get into minutia of the debate. It's kind of boring uh, unless you're really into that kind of stuff. But let's just say there's around 200 countries because there are. Right now in the world. Missiologists say that there are 17,468 people groups in the world. So 200 countries, 17,468 people groups in the world. Those people groups, again, are ethno-linguistic groups of people. So they have their own culture, language, ethnicity that sets them apart from others. So of that 17,500 people groups... 7,417 right now today are identified as unreached. So peoples where the gospel hasn't got there yet. They haven't heard about Jesus. Most of them have never met a Christian. That's, listen, of all the people groups in the world, that's 42% of the people groups in the world. Like there aren't enough believers there to really propagate the gospel, to see churches planted. Many, most, have never been met a Christian. That's a lot of people. Missiologists would classify three, just over 3 billion people as unreached, 2.17 billion have virtually no exposure to the gospel. That's basically one third of the world's population. So let me just for fun here, for clarity, right around here, I'm going to divide you two guys here, right right down here, approximately, over here, you all never heard about Jesus. Never heard the gospel. You have no access to the gospel. You've lived your life, however old you are, you've never met a Christian. There's no church. There's no tracks. You're unreached. Think about that. Now, that's pretty sobering. But at the same time, there's much to be encouraged about. Because that number, God is at work changing and reducing. And more and more, even today, God is at work. The gospel going forward is that we're living in a remarkable age of evangelism and missions, frontier missions, in powerful ways. I don't share this this morning to make us feel bad and guilty. I share this this morning so that we'll recognize the urgency of what Jesus is calling us to and how great the need is, even right now. It's wonderful that you, you've heard about Jesus, you have access to the gospel, you've met a Christian, you've, that is a work of God, a grace of God. But there's still work to be done. We're called to be witnesses for Christ wherever we are and wherever we go and wherever the gospel has not yet been. One writer on this subject said this. He said, we can't be truly missional without preserving a place for and giving priority to the pursuit of the unreached. It doesn't matter how much a church may say that she's being missional. She's not fully missional in the biblical sense. If she's not pursuing both mission at home, traditionally called evangelism, as well as being an engaged sender in support of missionaries to the unreached. And I would just say amen to that. We see this as so vital. We see this so vital. This is, what is this about? It's about disciples, about making disciples. Missions involves baptism. It involves a teaching. It involves all peoples. Missions also involves, here's the best part, the Lord's presence. involves the Lord's presence, the presence and power of Christ. He says at the end of this text, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this this is what we need. I mean, if we're going to do this, this is what we need. Remember, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Have you heard that verse? It's in your Bible. I guarantee you. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So isn't it good that he's with us? That means that we can do something. In fact, more than that, we can do exceedingly. We can see and experience exceedingly abundantly all we could ever ask or imagine, by His power in at, in us and at work through us as His people. What comfort this gives to those who are hurting, even you in wherever you are laboring right now. What comfort to know that Jesus is with you; you're not alone. How about the strength that comes that we can draw from His presence and, the, and His power? His power working through us, encouraging us. And using us in his service, I was thinking as I was preparing to preach, I was thinking about some friends of ours who are missionaries in a part of the world where it's very difficult to serve the Lord. It's one of those places that's just very uh, where it is uh, illegal for people from that nation to convert to Christianity. And so obviously obviously evangelism, gospel proclamation is uh, very much frowned upon. Uh, but they really sensed a call of God, and God worked in and, and their lives, and that they answered that call and moved to this country. And uh, they moved. They had their, their oldest was just a little baby when they went. And they moved there full of faith and conviction that God was calling them there. And they set to work seriously, praying. They set to work making connections. They set to work proclaiming the gospel in ways that were appropriate and fitting, boldly sharing the good news about Jesus. And they were there for months that turned into years. And you know what? They saw no fruit. They saw no fruit. They had labored, they had prayed, they had sacrificed, they had given, they had in some way suffered. And they hadn't seen anyone saved. And you can imagine, if that was you, you'd start asking some questions, wouldn't you? That you would start wondering, God, did we miss our call here? Like, is this? Did God actually call us to this? Begin wondering about that but the Lord is with them. Strengthen them and encourage them to keep going. And what happened next was something they could never, ever have anticipated. The country where they are serving, the country right next door, broke out into horrific war. And as the war ravaged, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of refugees flooded over the border into their country, running... Running from the the calamity in their own country with just the clothes on their back. And as they poured into the country where they were serving, they were in desperate need of food, of shelter, of care, of love, of support, of hope. And guess who was there to greet them? These missionaries. They went up there and began to interact with them and to help them and to care for them. And they started this farming program to provide food and vegetables for them and at the same time, prayerfully, boldly, boldly shared with them the hope that we have in Jesus. And you know what happened? They started to see fruit. They started to see people begin to turn to faith in and, and Jesus. And they stood back and wondered at this. And thought, you know, we were so sure that God had called us here to minister to the people in this country, but it turns out that, to date, our most fruitful ministry has been to people in this country who came from another one, running for their lives. It's the presence of the Lord to to encourage and to sustain and to give power so that lives are changed, and that's stuff that only he can do. We see that globally in missions. We see that in our own lives as God works to save people. Some of you could testify to God doing remarkable things. I got a friend of mine who, when he got saved, when he came to Jesus... He went to this big gospel outreach gathering, and somebody read from John 3, 16. And you know that verse that says, God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Only my friend, he says, and he swears by it. To this day, he's, it's his story, and he's sticking to it. He says, that's not what I heard. They read that verse, but what I heard in my ears was this. God so loves Stephen that he gave his son his only begotten son, that if Stephen should believe in him, he will not perish, but have everlasting life. He heard that. In fact, he tells a story, he's just like, a, there's somebody talking in my ear, but there's nobody talking to him, just the guy in the front. And what, is, what, what happened there? This is a God thing, that's the way he works, His power, because the Lord is with us in, in our mission to change lives to see people saved. I think of another friend of mine who showed up in church service one day and picked up a, a gospel tract in the back of the pew in front of him and he'd been kind of he'd been coming and going from church keeping his wife happy I think primarily. But this one day, he opened up this gospel tract, and he began to read, and the Holy Spirit of God just impacted him powerfully. And he went and met with a Christian. He says, you know what? I've been phoning it in. I've been totally fake. i got to give my life to Jesus. That's the kind of stuff he does. He does it globally. He does it locally. He is with us always, even to the end. So, loved ones, we do missions. We do it because it's intrinsic to our discipleship. We do it because Christ's command is our commitment and what it is, what it is that we're called to do is to make disciples. It involves teaching, baptizing, teaching all peoples. And it's powered by God himself. I want to say to you one thing, and then I'm done. I want to call on you to search your heart. I want you to ask God a question. And here's the question. Why not me? Why not me? Think about God's heart for the nations and ask God the question, why not me? In fact, I especially have in my mind this morning two groups of people. Not only these two, but especially these two. First, I have in mind young people, students. College, university, and college or university, you're in that stage of life. You're in your, maybe you're, you're 19, you're 20, you're in your early 20s. You're in the stage of life right now where you are working toward what's next. And you've got, as it were, your whole life ahead of you. And of course, we don't really know what that means, really, do we? But you're planning for the future and you're getting trained and equipped to maybe have a career or go into a trade. You know, Maybe you're thinking about being a teacher or going into finance or maybe you got carpentry in mind. Maybe you're going to be an electrician. Maybe you're going into medicine. Maybe you're going into academics. And you're, you're praying about and you're planning, you're preparing for your future. I want to ask you, why not you? Is there any reason, any deal-breaking reason you can think of That you couldn't do what you're planning and preparing to do why you couldn't do it in another country where Jesus is not yet known. Now you say, Ross, I could probably write down about a thousand reasons right now. A logistical question. But we'll get to those eventually. But the reality is is that as missions go forward in these days, as as Paul was saying earlier, the reality is is that to go to the unreached, we're not showing up as missionaries with Bibles on our hands saying, I'm here to reach people for Jesus. No, we're showing up as teachers, as carpenters, as electricians. We're showing up there as people who are business entrepreneurs. We're showing up as people who have medical training. We're showing up as people who are there to work in the world like an ordinary person who's new to this country but we're there for real reasons to share about Jesus. That's how the mission's going forward today, and it's going forward powerfully. And I just wonder, if you're 19, 20, 20 21, 22, in your, this stage of your life right now, what if today God was giving you a, a dream from him for your future to go to a place you maybe never even been to to do awesome, astonishing things for him where Jesus is not yet known? Why not you? The other group of people I have in mind this morning, you'll love me for it, but I don't care, is empty nesters. By those empty nesters, I mean that's a, that's a broad category. I'm especially thinking of people, maybe you're newly retired, and you still got your health, you still got your wits about you. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean you've you, you got it together. You've got financial stability. You've got training. You've got experience. Is there any reason that you couldn't, for the next three, five, seven, maybe even 10 years, take all that experience and all that training and all that God has supplied for you and to go to a place where God is at work and you could be on the front lines, plying your trade and using your experience to share Jesus with people who desperately need to hear about him. I think, this is just me, you get upset with me if you want, but it's really it's you and the Lord. I think that in our churches, there is an army of men and women who are beautifully positioned to do more than they ever even thought of doing. In Jesus' name. The reality is is that most of us will be people who will be taking supplies of the merchant ships and sending them across to the front lines. Most of us will be back here praying and supporting and sending but I wonder if some of us may be the ones that God is calling to go. So, Father, I commit this to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would, in a way that is unhindered, speak to our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that our church would continue to be, and increasingly so, a church that's about the mission and missions. Give us hearts like yours. Set our sights, Lord, on the ends of the earth. And I pray today that maybe if there's a person that you were calling, maybe right now you're beginning to loosen their roots from where they are. I pray, Lord, that they would hear your voice and you would give them faith to take a next step. Like talk to Paul or talk to myself, or share with a small group leader this sense that you may be stirring. I pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.